Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast presented by VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and Pat, coming at you on this Tuesday after Thanksgiving. First of all, we hope everybody had a wonderful holiday, got to relax a little bit, eat a lot of good food, and watch some basketball. And here is where I start you, Pat. How you feeling after this weekend? I watched some basketball. I wouldn't say I watched some good basketball uh, from the past couple of days, but I certainly watched some basketball. How about you? Yeah, it was a good weekend. Nice to be off work, obviously. Would have hoped for some different results on Villanova's side of things. So we certainly have a lot to talk about on this episode. Definitely different from probably any other episode that Pat and I have recorded for the State of the Nova Nation podcast. But for anybody listening for the first time, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. We're really excited to get into it. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, Villanova going out there for the Phil Knight Invitational, really big deal for the program to be out there with some of the elite Nike schools between the Invitational and the Legacy. And what happens when Villanova drops all three games out in Portland to Iowa State, Portland, and Oregon to drop to two and five on the season? At two and five, that is the program's worst start since 1991. Uh, They're also on a four-game losing streak. At the moment, that is their first of the kind since February 2012. 2012 may ring a bell because that was a 13-19 and 19 season, one of only two seasons under Jay Wright where the Cats finished under 500. A lot of stats that you haven't heard in a few years. Huh. Just a bit. It's been a while. In a little bit, yeah. So it, it certainly was a bleak weekend. There were a lot of people talking about a lot of things. I think it was actually good, Pat, that we had a few days to digest it. Mm-hmm. And we are right back at it. We're going to spend today recapping all of the action from the weekend. We'll go around the Big East. And then Thursday, we have a really special episode with a guest that we will keep under wraps, at least until a little bit later this week. Very excited for that Thursday episode, by the way. It'll be very fun. It'll be very fun. And definitely somebody that hopefully you recognize who is in the community. But here, 2-5, and and 0-3, I do think... After the poll dropped today, Iowa State is going to turn into a good, a quote-unquote good loss. I was impressed by them. Yeah, yeah, the losses to Portland, an 83-71 to loss, and then the 74-67 to loss to Oregon, who, not sure if anybody knew, but Oregon only had six scholarship players playing. Well, you don't say. (laughs) The litany of injuries that they had suffered. That was certainly a point overdone. But a tough weekend in a stacked field, not the results that this team expected or certainly hoped for. No, and I think what's the most damning from a lot of it is just the the sequences of play in, in all of those games. There were what felt like pretty significant portions of all three of those games where it felt like Villanova was just being completely outplayed and completely mm-hmm. handled and, and things weren't clicking on offense and they were giving up too many easy uh, buckets on defense, two things that we will most certainly be discussing plenty uh, on this episode. And I think that's, what's been most, uh, it, most disappointing so far this season is even in Villanova's wins, you know, the win over LaSalle and the, and the win over Delaware state, there hasn't been a, a type of fluency you know, either on offense or defense for an extended period of time uh, to an homage to uh, some of the other great guys in the community. There has not been a full 40 minutes of Villanova basketball yet this season. And especially out in Portland, 
we saw nowhere close to 40 minutes uh, of Villanova basketball. And I think that is what uh, probably scares you the most if you're watching this Villanova team through the first seven games. Yeah, we've been trying to calm people down about that panic button. I think it has been pressed Getting closer, yeah. It, it's, it's a shame, too, because they were actually not even against Portland, Oregon at least. There were points down the stretch where I actually wasn't even excited if they had one, and then they didn't even win. So we're at the point now where they aren't able to assert themselves against on paper and during game inferior teams and still aren't able to get the offense and defense in check enough i do think that this is a tale of two halves and almost every single game you saw that again the iowa state iowa state and michigan state is a different version of that team too so to to bring back the curtain a little bit and show you a little bit about what we want to do on this episode we didn't think it was worthwhile to do a game-by-game recap of all three games because that is far too much in one episode Hmm. so instead we took some key points from all three games and not surprisingly all of those points overlap because you saw most of the same issues in each of those games so pat do you want to take one of those points and just start there that seems as good a place to start as any yeah you know i i might even surprise you here and i'm not going to start on defense i want to start on offense with this one Hmm. and interested to see where you go here but Watching this weekend made me just think of the saying or, or the phrase over and over again, you know, the, the phrase being, we do it this way because it's the way that things have always been. And while that phrase is a signal to it's comfortable, you know, we know it being this way. That's why we continue to execute in a certain way. It's dangerous and it leads to an inability to progress. And that's kind of how things feel like it currently stands when we talk about Villanova on offense, this being the worst three-point shooting Villanova team of the last 20 years as we currently stand. The only team really close thus far was also, again, 2012, so a lot of similarities popping up, which is not a good thing, uh, where they (laughs) came in at 32% from deep. Villanova's at 31% as a team from deep right now, and that was a team with Malik Wayne's cheek, Pinkston, um, and comparatively over the last couple years, the last seven years, the worst the Villanova team has shot is 35% from three. And they're coming in at 31 right now. Now you go into this weekend and what happens? They take 183 field goal attempts. 108 of them are from beyond the arc. That is 59% of their total field goals from these last three games have come from three. Now there's no problem with that if it's, the previous Villanova teams that have shooters spaced all over the floor that, that, you know, can hurt you from deep that have guards that are able to really get in the lane, kick out, find the right guy. But the personnel of this Villanova team does not match the Villanova DNA that we have been so used to seeing over these last couple of years. And I think it's really concerning that we're yet to see them try and flip the script on offense and find different ways. It's why I didn't kill them in that temple game for taking so few threes because this team isn't, it's just not built as currently constituted to score all these threes yet. Here they go to go out to Portland and they shoot 108 out of threes out of 183 field goal attempts. I don't love that. No, I have about six points that I wanted to get through and the underlying point of every single one of them is that this team does not have the same personnel as it did last year. That, that's the, that is the correct answer for all of the questions that we're going to throw out there. <laughs> it's the crux of every argument. And I know that I personally have tried so hard not to compare Kyle Neptune to Jay Wright because mm-hmm. I don't think it's fair. I also don't think it's reasonable in year one to think that this team is going to pick up in the same place because of a new coach and because of the uh, talent that it lost from last year but it's starting to become apparent. And last year we did this too. We we wondered how good Jay Wright was at, at adjusting last year. Mm-hmm. That question is already starting to pop, pop up more and more. And we're seven games into this season and year one under Kyle Neptune. Something has to change because right now we're running it back with the same team who has different players isn't working. And I get taking risks and, Not even actually scratch that, not even taking risks. I guess I I get relying on your older guys 
and the veteran leadership. Mm -hmm. Kyle Neptune is also coming back into this role. We've talked about familiarity. He knows these people. He recruited his players. But the bottom line is that the players aren't the same. So you can't expect to run out the same game plan and not make any adjustments and win. And that showed against, again, really inferior teams in Portland. Yeah, it's it's frustrating, as you said. You know, the, the crux of it really is the personnel. Having guys like Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore just it it's it's so obvious it sounds stupid but it's so changed the spacing for this team and it gave them that other dimension where okay Brandon Slater can be a fourth option okay you know Eric Dixon can sit in the paint when things change and Caleb Daniels becomes your one you know Eric Dixon is kind of your your 1b and Brandon Slater has got to be a two or a three option it really changes the calculus of everything especially on that outside shot and while we see some of these young guys, you know, Armstrong hasn't found it from deep. Brizzy hasn't been able to get into a group. We know Archdiakono struggles from out there. And Housen only just starting to see some minutes is a guy that can shoot it from deep. Just with the, the players that are currently out there for the, the most minute distribution, there aren't enough snipers to really justify having this point of attack out there. And I think it really is holding Villanova back. And as I said, I understand that it can be a struggle for some people to even go through that because no, shoot them up, sleep in the streets. Like the, that's yeah. the Villanova philosophy. What are you talking about? They have to shoot threes, but they shot threes because they've been built around it. And this team without Justin Moore and without Cam Whitmore, now things can change a little bit once they come back though. I'm still not a hundred percent convinced that it will completely flip a switch there. Um, it's just, it's not as it's not their biggest strength. Yeah, I think that is the part to harp on, too, because there was a lot more national attention on Villanova this weekend than we've yeah, seen Athletic so wrote an article on Villanova, which it's been a while. Right. So I think it was Rob Douster and John Fanta were going back and forth. And Rob said something that I thought was a little harsh, where he basically, I'm paraphrasing here. I don't have the tweet up in front of me, but he basically said that this is a bunch of role players trying to step up and fill in the steps of one of the best players in college basketball mm -hmm. <laughs> from last year and Justin Moore and Jermaine Samuels, who were exceptional players last year. I think that's harsh. I don't think Slater, Dixon, and Daniels are role players at best. They are just not star shooters. They do other things well. But if you're going to live and die by the three-point shooting, then this current personnel is not going to cut it. And that's why you have to see some sort of change. And the thing that frustr frustrates me the most is that we see flashes of that change, mm -hmm. but it still isn't the priority. So it's so obvious to me when this team penetrates inside the arc and players make cuts and moves and find assists that this offense is lethal. And we see it in the second half of almost every single game they've played to take it a step even further in the last five minutes that they play of every game this is a really good team that can compete but when players settle for bad contested shots at the perimeter after making two passes along the three-point line and not even looking towards the basket this team is back to being one-dimensional and it's trying to be a version of Villanova that doesn't exist anymore so I think that the three the big three Daniels Dixon Slater should be taking risks. Don't rely on the three every time. Try to drive to the paint because all three of them are trying or are not ex not using their strengths is what I should say. All three of them all three of them are physical enough to take on their opponent in the paint and I don't think they're using the strengths to the best of their ability. Yeah, I think a, a portion of that too is especially come that Oregon game, which that Oregon game flat out was a brutal one to drop um, with, with yeah. all the injuries, you know, Fally Dante being their leading score and their being leading rebounder being out them playing walk-ons for at times extended minutes. That's a game Villanova had to win uh, on Sunday and, and they still found a way to lose it. That one really stings. And I, I think a part of it is that, especially as we got to Sunday, you feel that these guys are, are probably pressing. Um, and, and why, you know, of course, there's a ton of pressure on this team. They knew that the scrutiny and the microscope was most certainly going to be on them with the transitions from the roster, with Jay Wright going out, with Kyle Neptune coming in, all of that. And things very clearly have not clicked so far this season. And it feels the more that things have kind of gone out of sync, the more that this team kind of continues to go in that direction rather than, hey, let's mm. simplify things. Let's run some pick and roll. Let's try and find a way at some easy baskets. It hasn't happened. 
and that has put them further and further into deficits. Now, to your point, they've also found ways to claw back from these deficits, though I don't find it the sign of a great team to continually fall behind by 17 to 20 points, as we've seen this Villanova team has done multiple times already this season. We can take a small silver lining out of the fact that they can go on runs to be able to cut this yeah, thing down. Yeah, I think down it's a to, big silver lining. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's fair to, to cut this thing down to five, to get it to two, you know, to get back into the game and send it to overtime like Iowa State. That shows that there still is that Villanova mentality there. I do not buy for a second, you know, a lot of the comments that you see that this team isn't a Villanova attitude type team. I think Villanova attitude is in their DNA. A lot of it just mm-hmm. comes down to, there's a big difference between mentality and physical attributes. And while we love everything about Villanova mentality and what it brings and it is so important to the foundation of this program and the players that are out there, it will not always make up for some deficiencies, i.e. Chris Archdiakono, if you're looking for an example there, though he did play, I think, a, a pretty solid game on Sunday. So there, there are a ton of factors going into it, and uh, but <laughs> pretty discouraging what we've seen. Yeah, and I think it's poignant that you started on offense because you and I have both agreed that we wanted to see a lot more from the defense at the beginning of the season and mm. Villanova is ranked 56 I think Pat and I agreed that that was probably the lowest we've seen them on Kempom in a as while. long as I could remember in a <laughs> yeah while so their their adjusted defensive metrics are 110th in the country according to Kempom that feels kind too by the way that it, it honestly does uh I'll just mention the luck factor it's 360th so this year's Villanova Damn. luck is last year's Providence, just to, just to put that out there. What about the anti-Providence? Providence was number one. I, true, the anti-Providence. Yes. Yeah, that is that is very much true. Villanova has gotten unlucky. My issue is defense is what they have to hang their hats on, and that is what mm. prior Villanova teams have done. I vividly remember, Pat, having these conversations last year and in years prior where we would talk about how underrated Villanova's defense was and it is the exact opposite this year they're putting themselves in such a hole especially when it comes to three-point defense which Mm -hmm. I have a lot of interesting numbers on in a second you just you we haven't had this conversation in a while where we're talking about how much Villanova's defense is struggling even though I agree with you offense was what stuck out to me more this weekend they're just so different than they've been in the past Yes, I started with the offense just because I kind of like the the story that that can be spun into. But I do think the defense is the main reason why this team is struggling right now. Mm-hmm. The defense has been absolute putrid. I mean, it has been a disaster. If we really want to look at why Villanova is, is currently in the position they are. To Kyle Neptune's credit here, they are trying to evolve on defense. It hasn't been good. But you've seen him implement a zone more and more frequently. And now that's not because he suddenly wants to become Jim Beheim here on the main line. It's because this team just has continued to show an inability to play man-to-man. And and the two big pieces of that, first off, uh, you, you referenced him before, the loss of Jermaine Samuels and the versatility that he was able to play, especially in Villanova switching defense, being able to basically guard all five positions and being one of the best rebounders and the best box out player on the floor to be able to take his man out of those rebounding opportunities and give it to, uh, give it to other guys. The second part of why the defense has been so poor is just this current crop of guards is lagging very far behind everyone else in terms of defensive ability, you know, Slater, Daniels, Longino, um, you know, Dixon, even when he doesn't get pulled out to the three point line, they are serviceable to above average defenders for all of them. But you go through Archidiakno, Brizzy, Armstrong, uh, Housen. They are the ones that are really struggling out there to to be able to stay with their man uh, or and be able to take things away right now. And what it's caused, and what they really struggle as well is once they get switched down on some of those bigger guys, oh teams are exploiting yeah. those mismatches to hell. And there is no Colin Gillespie with the strength to show in the post. There is no Jalen Brunson that can still you know plant his feet down there. Uh, there is no Justin Moore, one of the better lockdown uh, defenders out there. And it has really crushed this team. And it's why they continue to go into his zone because they just they can't stick in man-to-man right now. Switching was particularly bad in Oregon. Oh, my God. I mean, I, I could not watch Will Richardson beat Dixon again. I, I couldn't do it. it. It was painful. And it's, again, because there isn't that star defender 
or star versatile defender besides Slater on this team. Mm-hmm. So you're right. They, they always seem to get beat by the zone and then they can't keep up when it comes to switching on defense. I'll bring you through my uh, three point shooting numbers that I mentioned before. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I'm going to do it. People, I'm so sorry, but I, but I have to. And I spent a lot of time looking at these numbers because I just think it is truly remarkable how good opposing teams are from beyond the arc against Villanova. And for the first few games, it was, wow, Temple just had a really good night. Wow, Michigan State just really was good that game. Okay, fine. But now Villanova's two and five, Mm. and teams are torching them from beyond the arc. So we'll look at these three games specifically. Iowa State against Villanova from three shot 29%. This team, I think, was the least poignant example just because Iowa State beat them in other ways, frankly. They bullied them. Yeah. Against Milwaukee, they shot 21% from three, though. They shot 29 from three against Villanova. All other games, they were in the 30% range. The other reason why Iowa State doesn't really count is because they didn't play anybody until they played Villanova. So now let's look at Portland, who shot a whopping 46% from three-point range against Villanova. Against UNC the day before, Portland shot 38% from three. Their game before against Seattle U, they shot 30%. And against Air Force, they shot 30% from three. Again, against Villanova, 46%. And lastly, Oregon against Villanova, 38% from three. Against Michigan State, they only shot 31%. Against UConn, they only shot 33%. And against Houston, they shot 13% from three. I think that's more of an ode to Houston's defense than anything else. But you can see pretty starkly that all these teams are getting ridiculously hot from three against Villanova. And it is because their three-point defense is, I'm going to steal the word from you, putrid. Uh, Yeah, it certainly is. And to sum that up, like the team is not as talented on offense in years past, especially while missing Cam and Justin. And the issue is they just quite simply do not have the defense to make up for some of those offensive uh, inefficiencies that they're seeing uh, to go through even further with the numbers. I mean, I know Eugene had sent us this yesterday. I mean, they're 283rd in the country in effective field goal percentage allowed. They're 18% or they're uh, 207th in the country in turnover percentage forced. They're 300th in the country to your point in three point defense. They're 227th in the country in two point defense. And they're 348th in the country in block percentage. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com with over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day. Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. To sum it up, they do <laughs> nothing well on defense right now. Nothing. They are yeah. sub 200 and in some cases sub 300 of 363 teams in Division One in most categories. And it's just it that is what really has to improve this week. They have now six days between uh Oregon and when they play Oklahoma at the Wells Fargo Center defense I know we opened with offense just because like I said I think the narrative can be spun around that but defensively is where if this team is going to start to turn things around it must come from the defensive side of the ball yeah and the question is seriously how do you do that how do you make that significant of a change when you look at all the numbers we just said and how bad it is when you're letting Portland and Oregon shoot that high of a percentage from the three-point line. We talked about the zone. I'm going to harp again on the three-quarter court press. Mm -hmm. because You know, it's my favorite. I think that is the short-term answer. A lot of that has to do with scheduling. You mentioned the six days. They also have, I don't know the numbers off of my head, but they have four games before conference play starts on December 21st. So they have ample time to rest in between these games. They also don't have a depth issue when it comes to bodies. We've talked about depth depth issues in terms of production, but bodies-wise, you can spend a few of these guys and give them time on the bench where you weren't able to do that last year with Gillespie and Samuels, et cetera. So I can think of probably six or seven plays off the top of my head, particularly late in the games, 
where the full court press or the three quarter court press force turnovers. And I think this segues into specific moments. And we're, again, we're not going to nitpick through every single play that changed the course of the game, but I have some in my head that yeah. Kyle Neptune needs to adjust. And one of those is again, using the strengths that he has. And that is that you have a really versatile athletic team. And when Slater or Armstrong or Brizzy or Caleb can force a turnover, push the pace and then score on the opposite end, you have to go back to that. So I need, not want, I need to see more of that pressure on defense because you're getting beaten so badly from three that you might as well try to stop them before they even get to that point. (laughs) That basically brings into what I was going to say that Villanova is giving up buckets easily anyway. So why not yes, take the risk try. Exactly. To, to force some turnovers exactly. and use guys like Slater, like Longino, like Armstrong to try and force these turnovers, go into some traps and really ramp up some pressure here because it's not working in the half court. They're being picked apart in the half court. So something needs to change. And the simplest thing to change is, well, let's move it out of the half court and let's move it yeah. into the full court. And maybe it's a little shorter shifts for some of these guys to try and help with the, the stamina coming off the bench and such. But uh, I would, you know, I'm a big supporter of that press and trying to find ways and I will continue to harp on it as well. And we've given Neptune a lot of credit thus far this season about not having that quick le- leash and letting the guys make mistakes and we're at the point of the season now at two and five where they can keep making those mistakes if it's going to make anything any better. Again, you might as well try and take risks and let Daniel sit on the bench for more than five minutes a game if it's going to let Longino and all the other versatile defenders we talk try and force some things on offense. That, that's my mindset. And it, li- it li- leads into something else too, which is late in the game, two, three, four times now this season, They have forced a turnover, and then they have the ball late with one last possession, and they seem to call just about the worst play you could ever imagine Hmm. and lose the game. (laughs) Yeah, it hasn't been great coming out of those, uh, what we've seen so far this season. That is certainly an area looking for big improvement um, as we continue to go down the line here. Yeah, I feel the same way. You just, when hitting Dixon down low is working, when finding housing space is working, don't let Daniels or Diction throw up a contested three when mm. it's your last chance to win the game. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. And you you bring <laughs> into you bring into Eric Dixon. I did want to bring this up before it's before it's gone here. Uh, and you know we've discussed Villanova not being a very good three point shooting team, and I'm not sure that that's uh, arguable at this point. But one way in which they've tried to counter that is to really deploy Eric Dixon around the three-point line in a way to keep teams honest because we know that there's just there's a lack of shooting from out there, especially Longino has struggled from deep. I do wonder if a part of that is that he's still struggling coming off of that knee injury or another injury potentially picked up against Oregon. He played very limited minutes against Oregon. The ankle. The, yeah. yeah, the ankle that looked up. I just... Everything's short from him on those three balls too. So I just wonder if he's not getting the right push off uh, off of those legs. We can go on and on about how the other guys haven't really found their three-point shooting stroke here. And we know that Eric Dixon can hurt you from beyond the arc. But I find this really interesting that a year ago, Eric Dixon took 14% of his field goal attempts from three. Currently, he's at 34% from deep. That is a huge year-over-year change. And as we've discussed what it does too, you know, and you brought this point up last week is Villanova struggling rebounding the ball right now. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is because Eric Dixon has had to be around the perimeter to give Villanova another shooting option. Now I like Eric Dixon to be able to shoot threes because he's one of the few guys on this team, but you feel decent about being able to knock one down. But I think what we're seeing more and more too, is that he is such a monster underneath the basket. I want him in the post more and I want this offense run through him in the post more rather than him standing around the perimeter. I'm interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah. We complained earlier about how Nova's game plan on offense was too one dimensional because all they did was dump it down to Dixon. I would like actually like them to go back to that. Well, let's try that again. <laughs> let's try that again. I think you're right. I think it is a strength and I think it keeps defenses honest, but the rebounding has become such an issue that they need him down low. He is just so lethal from down there that I would rather 
less talented three-point shooters throw up a shot and at least have Dixon down there waiting. I I would too. Uh, yeah. I, I certainly would. And you, you bring up coaching and, you know, kind of the struggle to get that right playoff um, mm-hmm. for, for the final the final play of the game. Uh, first off to even before I, I go further into this, I am 100% not on the against Kyle Neptune train that is forming a little quicker than yeah. I would have expected here. I firmly believe he should be given time to be able to write the ship and, and mm-hmm. put his fingerprints around this program and establish an identity. Seven games into year one is nowhere close to the correct amount of time for that. And I, I just, I will never support the notion that uh, Villanova should be potentially thinking about, oh, well, what can they do elsewhere after this season? I, I think that's ridiculous, in all honesty. With that said, I still think we can criticize par- portions of it. And and two big things that really stuck out to me was uh, first half against Portland, Mark Armstrong did not get into that game. And, yeah. you know, from hearing me through these last couple shows, like I I really like Mark Armstrong and everything he brings. I think he brings a, a quickness and that buzzword versatility to the guard position that just that current crop doesn't always get. I think we saw it against Oregon um, on Sunday as well with some of that explosiveness around the rim. And my other one, and we were texting about this last night, no Brandon Slater down the stretch against Oregon with four fouls. That one, honestly, I think is inexcusable because Villanova was getting burned on defense. Brandon Slater is their best defender. And he, he just never made it back into the game. And I just, I don't understand that one. Yeah, Armstrong was to the point where I was genuinely concerned that he had an injury. It was mm-hmm. that baffling to me that we didn't see him. And Slater, I, <laughs> you, you answered that for me. I have no idea. I couldn't understand the people who were behind it because Slater had a bad offensive day. He is far and away the best defender on the team. And we watched... Possession after possession after possession, Oregon dusting Villanova on defense. So yeah. that was also inexcusable to me. The question I, I have, and this is rotation in general, is I like the idea of playing the hot hand, and we've mm-hmm. seen it a lot. I think it's allowed Housen to get as many minutes as he's had, and I think that has been a good thing wholeheartedly. But with that said, routine helps. And knowing the structure of the bench might actually help these guys in the future because the quote-unquote point guard by committee isn't as effective if there's truly no clear sign whether it's Brizzy Armstrong or Hausen. So I just would like to see a little bit more consistency, and I didn't think it was as strongly as when Armstrong literally didn't play. And then the other thing, Um, maybe that third moment besides Slater and besides Armstrong, you can't use the hot hand argument and then not play Brendan Housen in overtime against Mm. Iowa state. That one was was just as bad to me because they went, I believe it was 10 and two in the last two minutes over Iowa state to force overtime with Housen on the floor. And then Arch played for the full five minutes of overtime. Yeah, that that's interesting because that one didn't stick out to me as much. Yes, he had a really? very, very important shot for Villanova down the stretch from deep. But just with I think that was more matchup based where Iowa State is such a physical monster that yeah. Housen, especially defensively, was not going to be it's, it's not a great personnel decision there. Now, you could easily make the argument that, hey, you live with it. You know, Villanova mm-hmm. needed the extra shooter out there and he made that big shot. And I think as we saw on Sunday sure as hell has the confidence to fire him up and fire him up in big moments, uh, which I think is exciting for Nova Nation if we wanted to look towards a positive. Uh, but yeah, I can say that one didn't strike me as much, but I do see your point in, in what you're bringing up. Yeah, I was totally willing to take the risk if they're already getting beaten on defense anyway. That being said, Housen was certainly a positive. I actually do think Archer's play in general was a positive from this weekend too. I think he looks much better on defense as in terms of last year he takes charges he looks more composed on offense and just more confident with the ball in general so I am not call not that I was ever calling for his head but <laughs> I don't think I mean we have much bigger problems on defense now besides Archer Diacono and I, I truly don't mean that in a mocking way if, towards him I, I think that's a positive towards the way he has developed on defense he played well on Sunday. I, I will certainly give him that. I, I still think he's a part of the issue on defense. He is not the issue on defense. Yeah. Yeah. 
I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. But we did hit positives and we talked about it a little bit. I think more needs to be discussed of it. But hello, Brendan Housen. Um, oh my as, God. as we, because I, I know this has been a negative show and it was always going to be a negative show coming off of three losses uh, out there in Oregon. But it, it has to be discussed. As we said, a big three against Iowa State, 15 against Oregon, which, by the way, the 15 points of his own matches the most that Villanova's bench combined has had <laughs> in a single game this year he did that on his own so uh spark plug is something villanova has been looking for perimeter shooting is something villanova has been looking for and i just as we go into this oklahoma game on saturday i don't understand how you cannot have him firmly in that rotation he took such a leap that i was actually growing angry at him when he wouldn't just catch and shoot the ball (laughs) fire it quick i believe i believe in that shot so much yeah it's been Really awesome to watch, actually. I would love to see even more play design. I tweeted that. Every single timeout, draw a play for Housen. Every single timeout, just do it. Put him in the corner. He's going to sink that shot more often than not. So that is that is certainly the positive. And the other thing is that Dixon continues to be one of the best big men in the conference. I firmly believe that. Yes, we would like to shoot, see him shoot the three ball less, but you watch him and – I just keep going back to what you said uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, Pat, about how it's not a test for Dixon anymore. It's now on the other team to try and match up against him. Yeah, for I, I'm totally uh, aligned with that. And the point about Dixon, too, it's not that, you know, he can't shoot the three. It's just mm-hmm. looking to, to put him in more positions of strength that I think will help uh, this Villanova offense as a whole flow. Uh, but yes, he he continues to to perform very well. He is incredibly crucial to everything this Villanova team does. As I said, I'm so impressed with the footwork. And while this team struggles on the glass, he really is the guy that that comes through with those boards that they need. So we'll just continue watching him be a monster. Yeah, I have a. I want to talk about Daniels a little bit, and, I, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because if I think if you looked at Daniels on paper and people have and I believe he's the second or third leading scorer in all of the conference so far I haven't been super impressed or I I don't feel like expectations have been met yet for him and I think that part of it is because similar to Dixon I think he should just be used a little bit differently and I get that a lot of the onus is on him offensively and Surely without him, Villanova would be scoring a lot less per game. Mm -hmm. But one of Caleb's biggest strengths is his physicality to the point where we've jokingly made fun of him because he's too physical at times. He's a football player. Right. But this year he's shot more than he ever has and they haven't necessarily been good looks and he's going away from driving and kicking. And I just think it's so obvious when you see him moving. They ran a baseline play where Caleb ran baseline. And somebody hit him and he was able to lay it up. I would love to see that a little bit more as opposed to him feeling like he just has to take bad threes all the time to even keep Nova in the game offensively. Yeah. And we know he can make them for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, for, from DPs, he absolutely shoots at a pretty strong clip. He's at 37% this year, which actually matches what he shot from a year ago. And that is also his career average at 37%. So he's doing exactly what Caleb Daniels normally does from beyond the arc. Uh, I do agree that I would like to see him get in the lane uh, a little bit more uh, to your point on, on paper, it looked good. I did not think he was good against Iowa state. He had the crucial mm-hmm. turnover towards the end of the game with the um, cross court pass that got intercepted where it just, I not sure what was going through his head there. I do think that especially uh, against Oregon, he looked a lot better and he did give Villanova uh, an option there again from deep. It wasn't great, but he drove a little bit more. Um, in that Oregon game, and I thought he was a strong passer as well. He finished with five assists, with all, which also Villanova has been getting a few more assists oh, in yeah. recent games. It's not great still, especially ball movement wise, but it's better than say we were, you know, a, a week ago. And I I say that sparingly, being that they're now sitting at two and five. But so mm-hmm. to to your point, no, I don't think Caleb Daniels had a great weekend, but. All things considered, and of all the guys that were out there, he still finishes towards the upper echelon in performances that we saw. True, and I did actually mean to mention assists on my positives, too. Even from the Iowa State game to the Oregon game, I think they made a step, and they're starting to penetrate a little bit more and try and find some cutting guys as opposed to just passing along the perimeter. One other thing I forgot to mention, too, and I 
I don't have a ton of thoughts on it. I think it's just worth mentioning because it was so shocking to me. After playing, let me pull it up quickly just so I can be accurate. Six minutes against Iowa State and seven minutes against Portland. Trey Patterson did not see any time against, I'm sorry, yeah, Portland against seven minutes against Portland. Patterson didn't see any time against Oregon and Nana Njoku played for three minutes. What were your thoughts on that decision? That it's the right call because Trey Patterson, really? unfortunately, has shown us nothing this year. Um, so I'm, uh, I was okay with it. I, I'm, I would still, of course, like to see Trey turn into the player that I think we all really thought he could when he came here. But while we've seen at times baby steps out there, um, he was also the guy that missed a wide open layup against Iowa State. And when you run mm-hmm. things back, Villanova wins that game by two if that layup goes in without overtime. So you, you think of things like that. Um, I'm fine with Nana getting some run because he's just a different type of player that they can throw out there, especially if they're struggling on the glass. As we talk about with rebounds, I talked about that they have one of the lowest block percentages in the country. He he brings you a, a bigger body down there with the potential to do that. I'm okay with Nana getting the game, especially with Patterson, because the struggles have been so real. Yeah, I I think it was more so the other situations that happened, like not putting Slater back in and then also subbing uh, Dixon out at the same time. And then Njoku was in there and Caleb was the only guy who could score on offense. There was just a lot going on and I was genuinely confused, Mm -hmm. but you're right. It's it's taking another risk, which I think we're both all for. And I was point. honestly impressed that he came in and looked as comfortable as he did because it was the first time he's seen any time this season. It was at one of the first timeouts of the Oregon game that was a must-win game for Nova. So who knows if we're going to see more of him? Who knows if it will be tandem between him and Patterson? But I think expectations should still remain low about that piece of the rotation. Yeah, and we can we can talk more about that for Saturday's game on Thursday's yeah. episode for expectations there. Before we move into Biggie stuff, I think the question has to be asked, and you kind of alluded to it at the beginning. Where are you on the panic barometer here? Are mm. you in the camp of, oh, well, Cam and Justin are not here, can't really rate anything, just give it time until they're back? Or are you in... It's time to really raise that flag. Uh, things are things are bad. Obviously, I say this as a joke, but fire Kyle, Neptune, and such. Where yeah. from, on a, on that sliding scale, where do you find yourself? I'm sure I've completely echoed what you said about Kyle Neptune. I am nowhere close to thinking that he was a lo- the wrong decision or anything mm. like that. Um, I was panicked watching the games for sure. I don't know if I have ever let myself maybe this is your influence pat but i think you scared me a little bit about justin moore coming back <laughs> i don't <laughs> you scared I, me I, I, yeah to the I point where i don't want to count on justin moore and as good as cam whitmore is lauded to be we haven't seen him in college basketball yet so i have been very i have had a lot of trepidation about the both of them coming back i am extremely nervous about this current team and the fact that we still don't have any information about when cam's coming back it feels like every game is a maybe and then we still don't get any information Mm -hmm. this is the point of the schedule where they can and should get things back together at uh, against oklahoma at the los fargo center and then they have some more of those big five games if they can't dominate those games because that's where it's at if they beat saint john saint joe's and penn I still have issues. If they dominate them, then maybe they get back on track. But I am certainly more worried and panicked than I would than I thought I would be. How about you? And this is a good Oklahoma team on Saturday, yeah. mind you, as well. And as as you're saying, I'm not sure there can be any expectation for Villanova to dominate as this team is currently built up. Um, I am in a spot where I I kind of in the middle of it where mm-hmm. I think it's I do not agree with just saying, well, we have to wait for, for Whitmore and more. And then this team completely transforms. Cause I think what we've seen through the first seven games here is that the issues on this team grow a little deeper than that, yeah. especially defensively, especially with a lack of shooting and kind of offense offensive identity in it. So I don't think it's as simple as, Oh, you get those two guys and the switch completely flips. Now it's a pretty damn big switch. Once those two come back, because Justin Moore is one of the best guards in the country. 
and Cam Whitmore as a projected what top seven lottery pick. That is a lot of talent that is not currently on this team, and it is still impossible to just dismiss that when talking about this current team. With that said, I'm also not in the the whole thing's over, blow it up, there's no chance. Because I do think right. you're seeing slight positives. I like what I'm seeing from Mark Armstrong as much as he's struggling from beyond the arc. I think Jordan Longino's just not healthy. So I feel a, a lot of that has gone into his struggles here. I think Eric Dixon, as you talk about, has, has turned into really one of the better big men in the conference. There are positives. It's not something where I feel sunshine and roses, especially with a two and five start. I think there are a lot of warts. We just talked about it, but I'm not ready to blow the whole thing up just yet. So I gave you the non-answer of it, but it tells you (laughs) I'm not, I don't feel strongly enough to be in either of those camps. Yeah. Watching is also a lot more painful when you've had a few days to think about it. I think it helps too. And I, I might even be more, um, soothed over by the comebacks than you are I mean I I come away now from Michigan State and and Iowa State thinking those were pretty damn good comebacks against two really good teams that are are now ranked yeah Yeah, Portland and Oregon blurred that a little bit but Villanova in the second half shows fight they just need to translate that to the first half now and can't play poorly enough where it's too big of a hurdle to overcome late Getting a stop every now and then might help with that. Um, so. It might. That Just might. Man. Just a bit. But we'll keep talking about that on Thursday. Uh, anything else you want to hit for this past weekend? No, I think I think that sums it up. It was nice having three games. I actually did have another point, too. Goes back to Jerry's question from last week. My final verdict is that I actually did not like watching Villanova on Thanksgiving. Really? I love it, other than the fact I lost, but... Yeah, other than besides win or lose, I didn't love Thanksgiving as much as I thought I was going to. I felt like it was in the middle of the day. I had to rush through eating so that I could watch. It was a little bit more concerning than I thought it would be. <laughs> no, I, I love those holiday games. I, I had a blast for Thanksgiving. I cannot wait for Marquette on New Year's Eve um, yeah. being at the pavilion. Like uh, For me, I, I it only adds to the holiday, but that's also because I'm a psycho sports nut and that's my life. <laughs> so um, I totally understand uh, many people that had some other things to do on Thanksgiving, but for me, it only adds to the occasion. Yeah, and there were certainly a lot of other teams that did really, really well in this tournament. And we're still at the part where we can't, we still at the point of the season where we can be happy for other Big East teams because we haven't played them yet. UConn and Creighton are, are putting the conference on their shoulders right now, Pat. You agree with that so far? Well, I mean, don't ask me to be happy about what UConn does <laughs> because that will never happen. But yes, no, that the Huskies have been incredibly impressive. They win the PK Invitational as a whole with convincing wins, mind you, yeah. as well, over Oregon, Alabama, and Iowa State. Most interestingly enough, Adama Sonogo really wasn't a star in this tournament, but seven foot two freshman Donovan Klingon already looking like going to be a massive, massive issue come conference play. Uh, he's been a beast for the Huskies, and he was a beast against Iowa State on Sunday night. I also think Xavier is being horribly underrated. I, I told you, I told you, watch out for the Xavier. I know they lost their games to Duke and Gonzaga, but they play you so tough. I mean, they have three losses. It was a two-point loss to Indiana, <laughs> a seven-point loss to Duke, and a four-point loss to Gonzaga. Yep. Those are all moral victories if you believe in moral victories. People aren't going to talk about Xavier because of that four and three record, but oh my God, that's a good team. They're good. They are yeah. they are very, very good. And I only expect them to get better, um, especially as we go into conference play. So watch out for X because they are very talented. Yeah, and I mean St. John's is still undefeated, seven and zero. There, there's some good teams and and playing. I mean, watching Creighton play. I believe I watched the full game against Arkansas, maybe Wednesday night, and they were running them over the court. And Arkansas is supposed to be one of the most exciting teams in the country. Yeah, unfortunately, I was traveling back to Long Island during that game, so I, I didn't get to watch it. But I, I did look through the box score and everything, and it seemed like that was a really fun game. Yeah. Um, Creighton Creighton's very very good and they're going to get a massive test uh, coming up this week when they travel to Texas on Thursday yeah. for the Big East Big 12 uh, challenge yeah that'll be fun you have any other games that you watched or stuff you wanted to say about the Big East 
Uh, Seton Hall beat Memphis on a prayer mm. of a buzzer beater that banked in um, down in Orlando. They did drop their next two games there, but, uh, you know, a big win for Shaheen to take down a Memphis program that we know is kind of can go up and down uh, and fluctuate a little bit, but that's still a talented Memphis team. Um, and then as we just kind of brought up here, it's, it's another big week for the conference. You know, the Big East hasn't had the best start to the season mm-hmm. thus far with their teams. As you said, UConn has been great. Creighton has been great. Xavier has played teams really tough, but after that, it's been a bit of a struggle here. And we're going into what's going to be a very difficult week because the Big 12 may just be the best conference in the country at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you've got some really fun matchups, though, You know, like Baylor-Marquette on Tuesday, Kansas State-Butler, Georgetown-Texas Tech, Providence-TCU on Wednesday. And then, as I mentioned, Creighton-Texas, kind of your big one. Uh, on Thursday and of course Villanova Oklahoma on Saturday yeah it's a test but I also think it's exciting and if if you're gonna give the conference the chance to prove itself a little bit this is certainly the conference to go against right <laughs> big yeah. 12 or nothing because we you're all know that for a the big 10 stick, is, here you go. is fraudulent yeah hey the big 10 is very good in the regular season and they are proving yeah, it again right now they've got some good teams it's just when that calendar goes to March uh the clock strikes midnight yeah, it all crumbles. It all crumbles. Pretty much. No, it'll be fun to watch. I remember we were talking about the uh, beginning of the college basketball season lacking some luster. We're certainly we found getting it. it back. Yeah, we're getting it back tenfold at this point of the season. Yeah, once you hit these Thanksgiving tournaments, uh, which are always a blast, and I love that college basketball does it, um, it, it feels good. And then we get closer and closer to conference play that will, of course, start a little later in December. And once that fault comes up, we really are in full swing. Pat, we're less than a month. Oh yeah, we're like three weeks. Less so. than a, I can't believe that we're already so far into the. I know it's only seven games, but the fact that we're coming up to conference play, it feels like it's flew by already. Yeah, so it'd be a good time for Villanova to start putting some wins together. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. That'd be nice. Let's end on that positive note. Let's end on that note. Uh, as Emma said, we're really excited for Thursday's episode. We have a guest that we are pumped to bring you on. We're sure you are going to love him. You probably already know him. But that'll do it for us here on the State of the Nova Nation presented by VU Hoops. Be sure to check out VUHoops.com to read all of your Doom content that you would like to read after this past <laughs> weekend. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Follow us on Spotify and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N-Pod and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.